Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT Podcast. I'm joined today by Julie Fraser. Uh, Julie's Vice President on Research on Manufacturing Operations at Tech Clarity, uh, coming from sunny Florida. So, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, great to have you here, Julie. So I think you and I have been connected for uh, for a little while on LinkedIn, and um, we have a lot of very similar connections. So I thought it would be a great idea to, to bring you onto the podcast and talk about your extensive experience in manufacturing and uh, the research side. Yeah, it's a, a little bit different angle than a lot of people come at it from. So I appreciate yeah. the opportunity. It's, it should be fun. I'm glad, glad to have you, Julie. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know, maybe you could shed some light a little bit on yourself, your background, uh, who Tech Clarity are and, and what it is you do. Sure. Um, so maybe I'll start with Tech Clarity because it feels like sort of the perfect combination to my long career. Um, at Tech Clarity, we do research and educate the market on the business value of IT. And almost all of our work is in manufacturing. Sometimes we touch, you know, sort of warehousing distribution or we'll touch some associated areas, but mostly in manufacturing and production industries, process, batch, discrete, hybrid, all of those. Mm -hmm. And it really is a culmination of what I've been doing for my entire long career, which is exactly that sort of expressing why. Why should you consider these technologies as they come around? And I've seen a lot of different technologies over the years come around, <laughs> right? And at first people kind of go, oh, what's that? Do I need it, right? Most people in manufacturing are fairly conservative and um, you know, you're not gonna implement something just for fun. Mm -hmm. So having that understanding and helping people grapple with that question of, is this something I need to do you know, just because everybody else is doing it is not a good reason to do it, right? <laughs> to implement new yeah. technology, you, you need to have a business case. Yeah. So that's really what I've been doing for my career. Um, and I started back in the 80s, actually, at a time when uh, the concept people talked about was computer integrated manufacturing, <laughs> right? And I look at what's going on now and digital thread is kind of that same concept, that ability for all of your information through all of your different systems to, to integrate um, and help you run your business far more effectively across all aspects, not, you know, again, I specialize in kind of the plant floor and supply chain issues, but, mm. you know, from design and innovation through um, every aspect of managing your product and process data out through the supply chain, all of it can now, the information can flow. So it's super exciting for me to see some of the ideas come to fruition in a much more realistic manner. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess that kind of connected journey from the integration and start of IT and manufacturing through to where we are now and the collection of extensive data and, and all of the data points, it's, yeah, I can understand the, the interest there, Julie. So I, I've been curious. So how do you start? your research how, how does a project start for you maybe you could kind of talk us through a little bit about how your research comes to life and who your stakeholders are and, and how you bring everybody to the table to to gather everything sure 
Um, so we do a variety of different kinds of research, but in pretty much every case, the way it starts is where we have a conversation with someone who's providing an IT-based solution. Okay. And um, in that conversation, we get to understand why people are doing this, what benefits are available. And often we also understand some of the, we have to understand a little bit of the technical background, but the real focus is why? What's the business value? What are the benefits? How do people gain ROI? Mm. So in a conversation like that, that then leads us with that solution provider to come back around and say, okay, well, here's some aspects about that that we're not sure the industry understands very well. And then together we sort of conjure up what would be a, a good theme. And then we take that theme independently mm -hmm. and we do research um, where, you know, the solution provider is uh, uh, sort of sponsoring it, but they are not doing any of the writing. Right. We're the ones <laughs> that have the control. Yeah. And we insist on that. If if at some point there's uh, there's something that they want to say that we don't believe is true or that we're not on board with, yes. and that does happen sometimes, we can still support them, but then we take our name off. Yes. Okay. So if the name Tech Clarity is on a piece of research, it is an independently researched piece. And okay. um, so sometimes we do survey-based, online survey-based research. In which case, you know, you know how that gets set up. We we sort of think through what it is, and we have a very, believe me, a very methodical approach. Our founder uh, was from one of the big consulting firms, and so everything is well documented. Everything is very <laughs> methodical, and so we really do start with um, sort of a concept. Here's what we think the final deliverable could be, and some of our assumptions and some of our theories. Uh, so that we're going to test in this. So we really create that notion of what's the what's the end result and then build back from there. Um, okay. And then we also do some survey and we also do some research that is more interview based. Right. So in that case, we sort of structure a set of questions for the people we're going to interview based on the topic. And um, and then we pull sort of from those that thought process of, oh, where does that go? And we like to do interviews even for survey-based research, to tell you the truth, just because it yeah. adds so much real-world flavor. Yeah. Let's face this, operational folks, we tend to be very concrete, right? <laughs> One thing to give me some data and uh, a, a big theory, but what I really want is an example or two, and I want to hear somebody else tell me it worked for yeah. them, right? Yeah, I get it. I get getting that striking that balance as well. And I guess the, the survey base will allow you to reach more people and to get a, a larger you know, um, data set. Yes, it, it does. And um, it's always fun when we get the data because there's always surprises in it. You know, mm. there's always things that turn out just the way you expected them to, but there's pretty much always some things that you go, hmm, <laughs> no, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Right. And then you have to really, as an analyst, stand back and figure out what is this, you know, what does this mean? How can I interpret this? Is this just sort of anomalous data or is there really uh, a message here for us to, to put forward into the world? 
So it's it's very very fun work. Oh, it, it sounds interesting. I can, I can feel your passion for for manufacturing and the research side coming through. Um, I, I guess you and I have a very similar vantage point. Is that you know from my recruitment side, I speak a lot of times to technology companies who are looking for um, staff. And then I speak to manufacturers as well who are looking. But I guess the beauty of both of our jobs is that we get to speak to both sides of that, you know, value chain. Um, and the other benefit, I guess, from your side is that you get to spend time on the shop floor, uh, speaking to operators and such, but then also maybe the executives as well. So it seems like our worlds are, you know, if we were in a Venn diagram, that our worlds overlap quite a lot. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And one of the, I mean, I did work in a manufacturing operation in my college summer jobs. So I have that background and that I was, I was amazed at how much I loved it. Mm. <laughs> right. Being a college kid, nobody expected that. And they, they like to have some fun with me, but um, maybe smoke <laughs> cigars and things. It was very, <laughs> very good. Anyway. Um, but what I was going to say is then one of my early jobs when I was researching the computer integrated manufacturing, um, I actually did plant tours uh, to get a case study in each month's issue. Okay. And it was, I got to see three and four plants every month. So I got a very broad view of manufacturing at that time. And I think that's what enable has enabled me to be successful in this career is that first opportunity um, when I really visited so many different plants, because one of the things I find, and I found even when I was working in manufacturing, is that you have so much day-to-day -to, -day to focus on that mm. it can be very, very challenging to get outside your box of how your operation works and consider a bigger picture. So yeah. that's where I, I feel like we also provide uh, a, some value is that we've seen a whole array of different kinds of manufacturing and you know what what they're <laughs> the doing in pharmaceutical right absolutely <laughs> and what they're doing in pharmaceutical for for regulatory compliance is something now that people in uh, industries such as automotive and electronics are needing to learn yes. and likewise electronics has moved so quickly other industries are trying to figure out how to do that too so i think the cross pollination is also really valuable no, I think that's a really, really good point. And I guess, you know, the other, you know, you mentioned obviously your time in your start of your career working on the shop floor and getting to walk the plants and, and getting that grounding. I guess that really does help when conducting those surveys. It really gives you a bit more kind of granular contextual how to frame questions and, and what kind of challenges the operators and shop floor workers might actually be facing. Right. And I think it's one of the challenges when you think about investments is very often the executives in the companies don't come from the shop floor, yeah. right? They might come from finance or sales or marketing or who knows, engineering, and they may not have spent that time. So again, part of our role is to help them understand why this particular type of solution might be beneficial. And similarly with supply chain, I think, again, it's a very specialized area. Yeah. And if you don't, if you haven't experienced it, it's difficult sometimes to envision what the benefits uh, might be. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And you touched on a couple of things that I want to talk about later. So I'm going to kind of save those points in that. But um, what I was going to say as well, Julie, obviously, you know, you mentioned 30 years now in, in manufacturing. Sorry to, to mention the, the time frame. But um, in, in terms of your career, what have you seen 
has been the changes over the years? I know, obviously, you mentioned about computer integrated manufacturing and, and where we are now with data collection. But what other kind of common themes or challenges and what else have you seen over the kind of that periods within manufacturing that that's changed? Well, I mean, obviously, the technology has opened up huge new possibilities um, mm. in every aspect, you know, in the plant floor and supply chain in the executive offices in making decisions for every level of the organization. So that part's really exciting. Um, I've also seen that the automation has become more successful. One of the okay. early visits I had to an automotive assembly plant um, they had highly automated it, but they had a lot of problems with it. You know, in fact, while I was there, one of those huge overhead crane things dropped a seat. Fortunately, wow. nobody was there to be underneath it and get crushed, but it was kind of scary. You know, it was yeah. like an object lesson in, yeah, we're still early in this stuff. Yeah. Where now, right, <laughs> it's, it's much more... Um, so the automation's come along quite a bit, the, the information systems and the data flows really, again, we used to only envision this. Mm. And now it actually is starting to happen. Um, you know, you talk about a concept like a, a model-based enterprise where the 3D CAD model and all of the data associated with it, it becomes this model that's used throughout the quality, the testing, yeah. you know, the entire life cycle, all the way through, like for an aircraft, to the maintenance and repair operations. So... Yeah. That's really, it's just so exciting to start. And it's only still starting. That's also still in its infancy. But compared to where we were 30 years ago, huge leaps, huge uh, moves forward. I also feel like the, uh, the atmosphere has changed. The, um, the demographics have changed, mm -hmm. right? So being a woman back in the 80s in manufacturing um, had some challenges um, where now it's, it's an everyday occurrence. Back then... You know, people kind of looked at me like, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about anyway. So I used that <laughs> to my advantage. And they told me all kinds of stuff that okay. I don't think I would have learned otherwise because they didn't really think I could understand it. Okay. So it and, sounds so terrible with people, you know, that, that, that thought process, doesn't it? Now, in the, where we well, are these days. Yeah, but it's, yeah. It, it was the times, right? Yeah, sure. It was the times. I, I understand. I think that that's one of the areas that I was kind of keen to get your take on, Julie, is you know, from the world I operate in, just to kind of put some context, is mostly around the, the IT data side. And as my career has developed, I've got a, a bigger understanding for the OT world and the appreciation for that side. But I think the general consensus amongst my clients is that having that grounding in both the IT, the OT world, is what would give a, a professional the biggest insight and the biggest kind of advantage. But how, how do we think we get more women into technology or more women into manufacturing? What are your thoughts on how that's changed over the last kind of 30 years or so? Yeah, it's, it's still a challenge. I mean, there's no question. If you look at the STEM programs, I feel like um, a lot, there are a lot more women than there used to be or girls yeah. going into it. But they also feel like there's, there is still a cultural divide. Yeah. And so um, I think manufacturing overall really needs to do a better job somehow in helping uh, overcome past stereotypes, right? When I yeah. worked in the shop floor, it really was hot and dirty. 
<laughs> you know, and I was fine with that, but not a lot of people aren't. Um, yeah. Boys and girls look at that and go, well, why would I want to do that when I can, right? On the other hand, you know, today, a lot of, a lot of the positions are not hot yeah. or dirty. And also even, even the ones that are have this amazing, to me, they're so similar to gaming, yeah. right? You've got a screen in, typically in front of you that's helping guide your actions. And you're also helping guide what happens. And you are, you're, you know, you may not be in battle with axes, but yeah. you are preventing <laughs> disasters. You're saving yeah. your people. Yeah. your customers, your colleagues, right? The people in the next operation. So the, to me, there's a, a really big similarity there uh, that I don't think most young people really grasp. So I'm not sure how to do a PR campaign for the manufacturing industries worldwide, <laughs> but somehow I feel like, you know, it's sort of, it's needed. I also feel like, um, you know, and I think at least here in the U.S., I feel like our educational system doesn't hasn't caught up. Yeah, and I think that is true in a lot of places where the educational system is still potentially a decade or more behind in what's really cool and new and possible. So um, you know, it's systematic. It's education. It's yeah. you know, and government support for things doesn't hurt. Which um, we've getting we're getting some here in this country for the first time in a long time. But anyway, I think I think it, a lot of it is having women speak out and say, "Hey, this mm. has been my experience, and it's it's great, and you can do this, and it can be fun." Yeah, no, I, I really like your points there. And, I, and again, this is kind of one of the other added benefits of, of me doing the podcast is that I feel like I've got such a, a great vantage point in the industry that, you know, unfortunately, 75% of the positions that I place with my clients are male. So there's something that I see that I would like to help shine a light on more women in technology, women in manufacturing. And so this podcast can be a bit of a beacon for people like yourself self to share their experience and for other women to see the podcast and think, yeah, look, I'd like to come on there and um, you know share my experience. I think that will only create a create a bigger benefit. But I also really liked your point about the gamification of manufacturing now and and that you know hot and dirty kind of you know thought of maybe what the plant floor looked like versus really what it looks like in the 21st century now with VR headsets and um, you know iPads and and, and tablet based uh, controls. So I think I think that is definitely an industry um rebrand or a restyling and a re-image that that will definitely hopefully improve as we get more of the kind of millennials gen z's moving into the workforce and and getting that that kind of idea of what manufacturing really is like yeah yeah absolutely and i think you know manufacturers themselves have made it a point to um really create some highly challenging positions, mm. right? Um, as you automate, the positions that remain need a lot of strategic thinking, planning, um, you know, training, a lot of, mm. you know, IT training, but also, or, or OT or both, as you say, ideally mm. both, which is very hard to come by. <laughs> but then yeah. also things like continuous improvement, right? Mm go and take some courses that, that help you understand what's the mindset, because it's so, so different, at least from what we learn in our educational system, mm. right? To be able to stand back from something and, and understand the big problem 
and then hone in on, okay, what's the part that we can address right here, right now? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I had a, I had a good chat with somebody from uh, an AI company who was talking about that exact issue and, and how we can really look at maybe making some of, you know, rather than going on a huge bird's eye view of how AI can, can really help and maybe kind of zooming in a little bit and, and solving some of the smaller problems, building that confidence, building that trust, and then scaling out again to maybe some of the bigger challenges. But I, I think, you know, from my perspective, there definitely does seem to be a bit of a, a, a mindset shift between, you know, what manufacturing really looks like nowadays and, and maybe how exciting. And I think there'll always be the challenge from what I see about people going, you know what, I don't want to work with pharma companies or, you know, companies like that because it's just about driving shareholder value. But I think as we shift more to a customer-centric, you know, this work, this, this improvement in efficiency, this improvement in safety will actually change people's lives. And I think as that image changes, hopefully that will open the floodgates to more people joining as well. I think so. And I think companies may be getting a little more serious about their ESG commitment. Yeah. It's going to make a big difference for millennials. It's one thing to have it as eye candy, I've got to say this, <laughs> but you know, if there are companies that are very, very serious about it and that are mm. really making huge strides towards zero emissions and towards, yeah. you know, never touching a supplier that has poor labor practices. And, yeah. you know, I really think that the next generation, they, they care about that. They expect that they want to be proud of where they work. And there is a different ethos, a different culture required for that than what we had in manufacturing decades ago. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that um, that carbon neutral mission that companies are doing now and, and how actually you know, ethical their production is and you know, workforce or be raw materials. I'll tell you a funny story, Judy. I had, I had a candidate decline an offer recently for, for, a, for a role where the company really promoted their green credentials and really spoke about all of the great things they were doing for the environment. Um, however, in the package for the candidate, included a car allowance, which is only for a petrol or diesel car. It didn't include any green option. And the candidate really felt that this undermined the whole um, thing they were saying and whether it was just a bit of, you know, that expressing greenwashing and trying to just maybe wave the flag to see how good we are when really under the surface, it, it didn't look so good. Absolutely. And it's one of the big challenges that manufacturers have mm. is that many of them have been around for many, many decades. Yeah. They tend to be conservative. And so that's just a great example of a particular HR <laughs> policy that has not changed with yeah. the times and you know now are they greenwashing or is it just a particular piece that they haven't gotten around to hard to sure. say yeah but that i mean that's the challenge too especially for larger companies right is there's a lot of legacy you know mm. every every angle every aspect but i think the whole way we treat people and uh, factor people into the operation needs to change if it hasn't already. And I think in a lot of places it is already changing pretty radically, but, but if, you know, if I think about when I worked on the shop floor to now, big, big mm. difference. Yeah. And, and so there's, you know, there's HR, there's communications, there's just all the different angles. And um, yeah, so I think it's hard. Companies aren't there because it, there's a lot of aspects to it. 
Yeah, no, definitely multifaceted. One of the areas I also keen to touch on, you mentioned at the outset that a lot of your research starts with the solution provider and understanding solution, understanding the use case and, and then creating a theme around that. And now correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, in my view, over the last kind of you know five to ten years with the huge explosion of industry 4.0, the sheer amount of tech that's come to market has been crazy and we're talking you know 20 years ago digital twin was something that was spoken about and now even now you know there's ai and vr that are really kind of coming to the, the fore and the metaverse all of that good stuff anyway my question julie <laughs> is you know what are your thoughts on the explosion of these technologies and how are, how are a company like tech clarity keeping pace with all of their technical advances and who is driving that kind of change in adoption? Is it from the solution providers? Is it from the companies wanting to keep up with competitors or, or what, what do you see? It's a very interesting time in the market. Very, mm. very interesting. I haven't seen this much new and exciting technology for plant floor operations um, and supply chain for that matter in my yeah. entire career. Uh, and there was a lot early in my career. Um, so. <laughs> You know, there's been a lot of, of interesting technology all along, but right now the explosion. So, so I would say there's a combination of things happening. Yes. There are solution providers who have, some, you know, were founded by somebody with a manufacturing background, ITOT combinations, mm -hmm. and they, they know what problems were not being solved by the technologies their companies were using. So they go off and they create a whole new system. And there are quite a number of those right now. Um, some companies are younger. Some of these have been around for 10, 15 years, but some of them are very young companies. And that to me is just an exciting, um, you know, it's an exciting world. Keeping up with it is extremely challenging. We do our best when we say, see mm. something new come around. I try and reach out and say, hey, will you, will you spend half an hour or an hour with us telling us what you're doing and why you're doing it and how? Mm -hmm. So we do, and that we just do for free. I mean, that's our sure. part of how can we stay up with the market, as you said. Yeah. The, it's being driven. There are some manufacturers that are helping to drive it, but I think primarily they're helping to drive it once they hook up with a solution provider, then they drive those solutions forward in the ways that they need them. Okay. Sometimes the manufacturers are really uh, creating uh, something new. And there are examples of that too, of um, manufacturers who have started software companies because yeah. they couldn't find what they wanted, <laughs> what they needed. So mm -hmm. there are software companies that sprang out of um, a manufacturer. Yeah. And so that's, that's another, it is a direction that things have taken as well. Uh, the biggest challenge that comes then though, is as a manufacturer, trying to look at your operation and match up all these things you're hearing about with your own needs and potentials and understanding, well, what actually fits, yeah. um, what actually, and to me, it's not just the technology fit, the solution itself. Um, and, and there's also the architectural issues these days. Because historically, when I started, well, and even now, a lot of the plant floor software people are using is 20 years old or 10 or mm -hmm. 15. And it's awful. I mean, it's, you can't, but you can't take it out. Yeah. And you can't upgrade it because you've customized it. 
So, but new architectures are getting around that in some wonderful ways. I'm seeing newer software products that do enable customizations to be upgraded along with the core product. I, you know, there's DevOps development that, yeah. you know, the solution provider is now sharing out with their customers and their, um, and their service providers. So there's and some the, interesting things. Yeah. No, I was just going to say in the explosion, what I've seen also is that kind of low code, no code platforms now, which are highly customizable, of course, but also allowing that, you know, spot, spot changes. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's the big solutions, which need to be more flexible and increasingly are, but then there's also low code, no code that sort of fills in all the gaps. To me, it's almost like the glue that makes each plant able to get what they need. Yeah. Um, so I think that's interesting. But the other thing I want people to really remember here is when you're looking at these solution providers, they need to really be a company you can relate to. They need to feel like part of your company, a real partner. And that's not always that easy, right? Because um, each manufacturer has their own culture and each you know, solution provider does as well. So I think really listening in for their culture, the, the passion of their people for what they're doing and how it mm. matches up with how your company operates. I just think you can't overlook that part still. That, that, is, that is something so salient. I mean, I did a poll on LinkedIn recently about you know, the biggest challenge for dig digital transformation without a doubt it was stakeholder resistance and you know <clears throat> of course there's always going to be that push pull on that so that's understandable but i guess what what i hear from you is that bringing all parties to the table really listening understanding how they work why they work and the impact of the solution will actually um, impart on each person's day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week working and i think that's something that in the speed to market that a lot of solution providers are up against, you know, taking that time to, to really be the eyes and the ears of the business is, is, is a challenge. No question it is. And, you know, right now, I think, you know, well, there's a lot of solution providers that are struggling to find qualified people who, um, <laughs> you know, really have the right background plus match their culture. Yeah. So, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, and manufacturers also are having challenges finding the right people. So on yeah. every side, people are, people are sort of a scarce and super critical factor. Which I guess makes it great for, for us and uh, manufacturing IT recruitment. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> well, well, Julie, this has been a really fascinating conversation and I'm so pleased uh, that you joined me. I know you're a very busy person. So thank you so much for your time. Great talking with you. Daniel, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And um, I wish you all the best in your uh, podcast and the business. I'm looking forward to hearing what else you have. <laughs> Good stuff, Judy. Thanks a lot.